Last week, I shared with you three attitudes that hinder your thanksgiving. We're in a short series leading up to the holiday of Thanksgiving, and we talked about what we find in the Word of God, the repetition or that repeated truth that we're to give thanks in all circumstances. Say all in all circumstances. This week, I want to share with you a few more attitudes that can kill your gratitude. There are are actually many of them, but we're only going to highlight a few more in this series. But we're also going to talk about who deserves our thanks and how we're supposed to give it. So on a practical level, I want you to think about that this morning, that men who are here, who are listening to this message, you ought to thank the women in your lives for the things that they do for you. (laughs) And I heard one woman say amen. Let me hear the ladies say amen. Amen. Women, you ought to notice the good things that your man does for you and give him thanks. Thank him for those things. Children, man, they ought to thank their parents more often, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, I, I tell the story, and I've, I've told it before, but um, there was a Christmas, a few Christmases ago, I was with my family, my extended family and my parents, and uh, we were having a little issue, behavioral issue with one of my children, and I just looked at my mother, and I got close to her, and I held her face tenderly, and I looked her in the eyes, and I said, thank you for all that you put up with <laughs> It was in that moment I realized, oh my goodness, how much she had to... But children ought to thank their parents. How many of you think that bosses ought to thank their employees? Yeah. And if you're a boss, you definitely should thank your employees. Employees ought to thank their bosses. Uh, It's not brown-nosing to say, thank you for letting me go home a few minutes early today. It's just courteous and kind. But you know, as we think about those different categories of people... Christians ought to thank God. We said last week that it's the natural behavior of a believer. If you go out of your way to do something for someone and you've ever not gotten thanked for that, then you understand that the absence of thanks can actually dampen a relationship. Because your mind is working a million miles an hour. You've sacrificed or you've gone the extra mile or you've done something and you didn't do it for the thanks, but you thought, surely she's going to say thank you, (laughs) right? And then the day comes when you see that person and there's no thanks or that moment and then it dwells with you for a little while and then it starts to make you feel a certain way. So the absence of thanks really has the ability to squash or to dampen a relationship. And I thought about that in relationship to our communication and our time with God. That there are times that He does some great things in our lives and we yet have to thank Him about those things. A thank you when sincerely given from the heart really can impact It can impact a relationship and it can deepen the bond of relationship. If you have a relationship where there's a little bit of stress or struggle, ought to try thanking them for something. You'll see there will be a difference after a pattern develops of you thanking 
those who are in your life. Think about that for a moment. It strengthens the bonds of a relationship. And apply that to our relationship with God. That when we thank Him and when we are thankful even for the simple little things, that we have a heart that's developed after Him and focused in on Him. And it definitely can strengthen our relationship. King David most certainly had a thankful heart. The Bible talks about King David throughout the Old Testament and even he's referred to in the New Testament. In the Psalms, he wrote a majority of them. And he writes in the Psalms something that I thought I should share this morning. Listen to what it says in Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I want you to notice the pattern of what he begins. He begins on the personal level, but when he ends in verse 3, the passage that we'll read, he's talking corporately all together the body. So look at what it says in verse 2. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Verse 3. O magnify the Lord with me. He's no longer talking to himself. He's talking to others. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Here's another psalm, Psalm 100. I want us to read that this morning just to get a glimpse of some of the thankfulness that we can find in Scripture. Look at what it says in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Amen, says the worship leader. Make a joyful noise. Listen, we're a smaller church at this time. And I got to tell you, I do not care whether you can carry a tune in a bucket or not. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. It didn't sing. It didn't say sing perfectly. It says make a joyful noise. So we need to open up our mouth. And make a joyful noise to the Lord. It says all the earth is commanded to do that. Verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Well, does that mean just come into the church with singing? You should. But it means that you should come into his presence in your daily life. With a song in your heart. Why do people sing? My kids are hooked on a couple of old timey movies. And some of them are musicals. And to me, I find it very strange. I don't enjoy musicals at all. That's just me. I've just never looked at my wife and said, I love you. Like, it just, it's not real life to me. You know, like that kind of thing. But they love it. And they're singing these songs throughout the house. And they're filled with joy as they sing them. And I thought about that this week in preparation of this message. And thought, you know, although it might be a little bit weird... It hits the heart when there's a song. And the, the psalmist is saying that we should serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with a song in our hearts. This is something to get excited about, even if you're not a good singer. Amen? It says, know that the Lord, he is God. Here's a truth. He says, it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving 
and into his courts with praise. I want you to stop for just a second and think about what we're reading. When the psalmist is writing this, I've showed you pictures before. I don't have one to show you today. But the joining together of people for worshiping God happened in a location. When it says in his courts with praise or with thanks, it's not talking about a court of justice where he's the judge sitting on the throne. It's talking about this physical place where the people of God join together. And as they come through in the entrance of the place, they're singing and worshiping and giving glory to God. You think, well, that's just what they did in the old times. That's what we should still do today. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Why should we do it? The next verse tells us, for the Lord is good. Has he been good to you? Has he really been good to you? He's been good to me. Yes, there's struggles and there's trials and there's temptations. But God overall has been good to me. He's been better to me than I deserve. So I think there's a reason that the psalmist is penning these words for the whole congregation to sing and to come in together. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Did you know that people can choose to love you and stop loving you? And you can lose relationships and you can be betrayed. All those things can happen in the human to human context. But it says the love of God is steadfast through your thick and through your thin. Through the mountain and through the valley. He's with you. He loves you. He loves you even when you sin. He loves you. So his love is steadfast and it endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. He hasn't stopped yet. Amen. He won't stop now. I think that these sorts of things that are in the scripture. And you notice this chapter in, in the book of Psalms is only five verses long. It's, it's a short moment for them to gather together and to come with that understanding that God is good, that his steadfast love endures forever, and that he's been faithful. I love that song we just sang. He's never lost a battle. And that can encourage your heart when you feel like all you're doing is facing a new battle. Amen? That the God you serve is victorious, and because he's a victor, you are victorious as well. We've got reasons to thank him. Don't you agree? So last week I talked about some of those attitudes and we talked about doubt and selfishness and impatience. Today I want to share two more attitudes that really can kill your gratitude or your heart of thanksgiving. And then at the end of our service today, I'm hoping that you are going to actually practice what I preach. I have asked the worship team to lead us. They always lead us in an encore worship song. But I ask them specifically to gear it towards us having a moment where you can use your mouth and you can thank the Lord. You can actually practice it today. You say, Pastor, I'm not a good speaker. I'm a little bit nervous. Look around you. There's plenty of social distance. You can thank the Lord 
I understand saying prayers in silent or being thankful in your heart when you're in prison and you're about to be tortured. But when you're not, somebody smile and say, praise God, right? When you're not, the Bible actually communicates over and over again that we're supposed to use our mouth. You don't have to shout. You don't have to sound good, but you've got to use your mouth. Engage yourself today when we give thanks in a few minutes. The first thing, the first attitude I want to share with you today is a big one, and it's comparison. Comparison is a thief of joy. It truly, truly is. If you compare your house to the house down the street, if you compare your clothes to the person who makes more salary, if you compare your car to the car that the neighbor just got, if you compare, you will find yourself lacking joy. All of it just seeps out of you. And comparison is not a godly behavior. Or an attitude. But it's difficult to avoid. We used to talk years ago. We used to talk about keeping up with the Joneses. The reason why we don't talk about that anymore. Is because there's the Joneses. And the Smiths. And the Bears. And the whoever. Because we have social media these days. We have things that we say. Oh well. Her husband took her on a vacation to the Caribbean. Why don't we go to the. There's all this sort of comparison. And it's. There's an onslaught that happens literally from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to sleep. And in the middle of the night when you get up to go to the bathroom, it's waiting for you to see it on your favorite social media app, whatever it may be, to see the comparison of other people. And we, we, should, we should know better, and we often do but we don't do better because it's hard to overcome that trap of comparison. What comparison does is it turns you inward and it causes you to focus on yourself and what you lack. I want you to think about that this morning. When I compare myself to someone else, it's not just in an appreciation of, wow, you really blessed her, God. Thank you for the blessings on her life. I automatically go to, well, Lord, you know, (laughs) here I am. You can bless me like that if you want to. And I start to become discontent with the things that I currently have. And I start thinking about all the things that I lack. How many of you lack something in your life today? (laughs) That's all of us. We lack something in our life. But if we focus on those things, then we turn into discontented people. When we're thankful, however, on the other hand, it causes us to have our focus not on ourselves, but on others. Whether that be God or whether it be our spouse or our boss or our coworker, it causes us to think outward instead of inward. When we're thankful, we don't see what we lack. If you've ever been in a church nursery, <laughs> you know they need to work on thankfulness. If you've ever been in a church, 
You know, if you've ever been at a family table, if you've ever fed two kids side by side and you've seen them count the goldfish on their plate because they're worried that somebody next to them got one more goldfish, then you understand what I'm talking about. And the idea here is that instead of seeing lack, we can start to be thankful. And when we do, we'll see the generosity of God. There are magic moments. They happen once in a while in our home where our daughters will say, thank you, mommy, for lunch. They'll just utter it without being asked. They won't count the goldfish this time. It's wonderful. And I think it must be wonderful for God to have his people be just like that. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the breath in my lungs. Thank you for the lady who's still with me 13 and a half years later. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my... On and on and on. The things in our lives, in this life, that holds eternal value are not found on social media. They're found in God's word and in his presence. So you say, Pastor, you're really hating on social media. I guess you don't have any. No, I have them all. But you've got to keep yourself in check. You've got to keep yourself in God's word and in his presence because that's where true joy is found. The antidote to comparison is contentment. It's being content with whatever you have. And so as I thought about that and read through Philippians 4 at the beginning of the service about giving, I'll read through another passage here in Philippians 4. The apostle Paul understood this of all people. And he writes in verse 11, he says, I've learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things Through him who strengthens me. I know we use that on the sports field. I know that students use that before they take their test. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what Paul is really talking about is being content and having God do a work inside of his heart that he allowed him to do because that is the antidote, being content. It's the antidote for comparison. He had learned to be content in whatever situation he found himself in. And here's what I want you to think about. Look up at me for just a second and think about this. You say, well, that was the Apostle Paul. He's holy. You are a holy people. The Bible calls you the people of God and the priesthood of believers. This is not reserved for Paul. Paul wasn't saying that to get high and mighty on a, on a big high horse. He was saying that to encourage the people that were joining in that church that they ought to find contentment. And the only way to do that is to not compare. So contentment definitely can elude us in our world. But staying in God's word and being in prayer, being in fellowship with other believers. In fact, serving will help you stop comparing. I want you to know that. 
Serving changed my life as a teenager. I went on a missions trip to Mexico. That moment, those moments that was just that week on the mission field changed and shaped the course of my life. I saw people who had nothing who worshiped God even though they had nothing. I saw them express love and joy and worship God in a way that I had never seen before in America. And it changed who I am. Me just serving for a week shaped my perspective And helped me realize when I came home after that trip that I didn't need to have the newest and greatest sneakers and the game system and the things. That I could find some contentment. I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I lost that contentment and I gained it again. And I lost it and I gained it again. But here's the deal. Serving helps you avoid comparison. So you should try it. (laughs) I thank God for our church It is full of people who serve the Lord, both in the house and out of the house. Amen? Aren't you glad you're in a church like that? You should be. The second attitude or the second thing that often plagues us is worry. How many of you know a worry wart? (laughs) That's a a, uh, hard thing to say. I know a worrier. Absolutely. I have uh, many experiences with worriers. Um, I don't worry most of the time, but there are some times that I do worry. And here's the thing. If you're around a worrier, you become a worrier. Our parents were right. Birds of a feather. (laughs) Okay. But worrying about the future zaps your present. And the Bible has a lot to say about worry. And I really think that the attitude that comes along with being a worry wart and having somebody that just constantly and consistently worries about what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen the next five minutes, that when they're doing that, they're so busy doing that, that they forget to stop, be at peace and say, thank you, Lord, for the here and the now. The truth is worry accomplishes nothing. Did you know that? You've literally never changed anything in your life when you've worried about it. It really produces nothing productive, but it robs us of joy and it robs us of a thankful heart. And you say, well, you know, worry, just worry. No, fear, anxiety, all of those things can grip us. And there's a spiritual component to those things. And we need to have thankful hearts instead. Look at what Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says to the people. He says, therefore I tell you, don't be filled with anxiety about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you'll put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? When you worry, you can't add anything to your life by doing so. You can't even add extra time. And if you had extra time, you might just worry more. Verse 33 says this, But seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's more about the benefit of us living a life that pleases God. It says if we are those who seek first the kingdom of God and we're busy trying to see his will be done in our life, in our marriage, on our job, when we are focused in on those things, all the other stuff will come. Don't worry about it. This is not a prosperity message today. But I can tell you this. The Lord desires to prosper his people. Amen? He really truly does because he's a good father. So he says, don't you try to get this done yourself by worrying. You leave it up to me. Focus on me and everything else will get added to you. That's a good word. Amen. Look at what verse 34 says. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Let tomorrow in another version, it says, let tomorrow worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You've got enough to do today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Man, what a good word. Verse, four, uh, verse 33 tells us that the antidote to this worrying is to seek God first. And so if you think about it, the antidote to worry is worship. I don't know about you, but I've been in some hard moments in my life where I worried And you couldn't talk me out of it. But a moment in God's presence worked me and walked me out of it. It's the truth. Worshiping God in the midst of the storm may not always stop the storm, but it sure will help you get through the storm. Because your eyes are on the right thing. So when we're thinking about being thankful and worry is Always at our door. There's plenty to worry about. How many of you are worried right now? (laughs) You're worried about something. You have something to worry about. So we say we've got something to be worried about. But here's the thing. You've got a million things to be thankful about. Look at what Psalm 103 says. My dad used to say, and, and I believe this, Um, He still says it. I mean, he's alive. Hey, dad. (laughs) Uh, My dad used to say this, though, in messages that he would preach from time to time. He talked about Psalm 103 and something he said stuck with me. And I say it, too. I love the fact that David here is actually talking to himself, telling himself that he needs to praise God. Look at what it says. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He continues to tell himself. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And don't you forget all he's done for you. Man, it's so easy when we worry to forget all the other stuff. But here David is telling himself, self, you better worship the Lord and you better not forget all he's done for you. And he says this in verse three, God, who forgives all your iniquity, 
who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth, bless God, is renewed like the eagles. This is powerful. He says that God has forgiven his iniquity. Do you know some of David's iniquities? It includes lies, adultery, betrayal, murder, conspiracy to murder. Those are some of his iniquities. And he says, God, I've got a reason in your presence to thank you because you've forgiven all my iniquities. You've healed all my disease. I love the confidence that's there. All. That means every single one of them. Lord, you are a healer to me. And then he continues and he says, you've redeemed my life from the pit. You crowned me. David was not born to be a king. Do you understand really what he understands? But God, you have crowned me with your steadfast love and your mercy. And you satisfied me with good so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. Man, that's good. That's some good places in scripture for us to thank God and to dwell on what he's done for us. You know, God loves to hear his people Speak. He really does. The word of God is all the way through. It's got a repeated pattern where people are encouraged and even told that they should pray with their mouth, that they should give thanks with their mouth, that they should confess with their mouth, that they should use their voice and worship. I'm going to share this familiar story from scripture as I close today. And I encourage you, again, pastor, I'm an introvert and I'm quiet. Great. Use your voice anyway. Amen? You don't have to shout, but use your voice. It causes your heart to be responding all holistically together. Luke chapter 17, it's a familiar passage to some of us. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem And the Bible says he had to go in a way that took him between Samaria and Galilee. Verse 12 of Luke 17 says this. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who were socially distanced. I like how the word of God even applies today. These lepers were standing at a distance. Verse 13, it says, and lifted up their voices And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. Verse 14, when he saw them and he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Do you notice the obedience caused that result? But something else happened. It says in verse 15, then one of them, when he saw he was healed, He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Luke, in his writing, made it really clear. Hey, this guy wasn't one of us. Jesus healed him, and he's the one who turned out of the ten to come back to God and to thank him. 
verse 17, Jesus gets a tiny bit salty, deservedly so. He says this, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? This one has come back, but where are the other nine? It says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise up and go your way. Your faith has made you whole. I don't know about you. It'd be awesome to be healed of something crazy like leprosy. And I think in that moment, all of us would say we would be that one. But the human nature that we have, it tends for us to just keep on our path and keep going and totally forget. But this morning, I want you to stand with me. And I want you to be the one leper. You truly are. I thought about that this week as I studied for this message. And I I thank the Lord because I'm the one. He healed me. And he's done something great in my spirit, in my life, in my home, in my marriage, in my ministry, in my job. He's done great things for me. And I will not withhold my praise or my thanks. So how do we thank God? Use our mouth. And remember, you're in church with like-minded people today. So use your mouth. Confess to him today. Maybe in this moment, before you begin to thank him for all the things, maybe maybe you need to say, Lord, would you forgive me for all the worry that I've been worrying? Maybe you need to confess the sin of comparison and say, Lord, I've really been comparing myself to others lately. Would you help me with that? But after that, use the next few moments to worship him and to thank him. And here's a short list. If you're saved, you can thank him for salvation. If you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, you can thank him for the Holy Spirit. If you're in a marriage, you can thank him for your marriage. If you're in a family, you can thank him for your family. If you're in a church like ours, you can thank him for the people who are here. If you've got peace and joy in your life, you've got a reason to thank him and to bless him today. If the Lord protected you like he did me last week from getting into a terrible, terrible accident, then I've got a reason to thank him. Lord, we come into your presence today, like the psalmist says, with hearts full of thanksgiving. We lay our worries and our cares down in this moment. Lord, we repent and we ask forgiveness for the times that we've compared ourselves to others. Lord, and today in these next few moments, God, we thank you and we declare your word is true, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. So Lord, today in the next few moments, help us to be specific in our thanks. In Jesus' name, let's thank him today.